why you have a whole host of states now introducing their own broadband privacy bills from uh, New York to Washington to even Texas. Yeah, because people care about this stuff. People really do feel that there is this fundamental relationship with their ISP that's different than their email provider, that's different than social media, that's different than any really online service they, they choose or choose not to use because they have to use their ISP in order to get access to the internet at the end of the day. Critics who are saying that this is some sort of great harm to consumers are not making correct representation. In fact, they're misrepresenting things. Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Lawyer to Lawyer, with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrosi, bringing you the latest legal news and observations with the leading experts in the legal profession. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Craig Williams coming to you from Southern California. I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court. And this is Bob Ambrosi out of Massachusetts. I write a blog called Law Sites. I also co-host another uh, Legal Talk Network program called Law Technology Now alongside Monica Bay. And before we introduce today's topic, we'd like to take just a moment to thank our sponsors, Clio and Latera. Clio's cloud-based practice management software makes it easy to manage your law firm from intake to invoice. Try it for free at clio.com. That's C-L-I-O.com. And Latera is the authority on document creation, collaboration, and control. Increase your productivity, collaborate securely, and ensure protection of your vital information. Learn more at www.latera.com. Well, on April 3rd, 2017, President Trump signed into law a controversial measure repealing online privacy protections that were established by the FCC under the Obama administration and almost ready to go into effect. This legislation allows Internet providers, or ISPs, to sell customer data without the customer's consent. Supporters of this legislation believe that keeping browsing information private would stop innovation, where opponents voice their concerns over the privacy protections of customers and users. So today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to take a look at the passing of this legislation involving internet service providers and web surfing data. We'll take a look at this controversial legislation, the privacy issues, and the potential ramifications and impact on customers. To help us explore this issue today, we have two guests. First of all, I would like to introduce Ernesto Falcone, Legislative Counsel at the Electronic Frontier Foundation with a primary focus on intellectual property and open internet issues. Prior to joining EFF, Ernesto worked as a legislative staffer for two members of Congress during the years 2004 to 2010. He then became vice president of government affairs at Public Knowledge, where he advocated on behalf of consumers on copyright issues and broadband competition. During his tenure, Public Knowledge was successful in achieving one of the largest consumer victories in telecom policy, by defeating AT&T's merger with T-Mobile. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Ernesto Falcone. Thank you for having me. And Bob, our next guest is Alden F. Abbott. He is the Rumpel Senior Legal Fellow and Deputy Director of the Mies Center for Legal and Judicial Studies at the Heritage Foundation. Alden previously served as the Director of Patent and Antitrust Strategy for BlackBerry and in a variety of senior government positions, including the Director of Antitrust Policy for the FTC 
Acting General Counsel of the Commerce Department, Chief Counsel for the National Telecommunications and Information Administration, and Senior Counsel in the Justice Department. Alden is also an adjunct professor at George Mason Law School, a member of the leadership of the American Bar Association's Antitrust Section, and a non-governmental advisor to the International Competition Network. Welcome to the show, Alden. Uh, Thank you very much. So how did this, uh, if we get a little bit of an overview perhaps from you, Alden, uh, how did this bill get into place? What was the background for the the rationale from the Obama administration? And why is Congress and uh, President Trump making this change? Well, uh, the history really is that, first of all, it's it's a mistake to say that uh, Internet privacy regulation, federal regulation and oversight did not exist. It's existed, the background is it's existed for many, many years under the Federal Trade Commission, which is the leading federal consumer protection agency. Now, the Federal Communications Commission, in, in a three-to-two vote, highly contested decision, decided to impose a privacy regulation on broadband internet access service providers, that is the big firms that provide internet access. Now, there are a couple of things troublesome about this. I won't get into the argument of it was beyond its its authority, but even assuming it was under its authority, in doing so, it created two tiers. It created uh, lots of companies like uh, Google, Amazon, all sorts of companies that interact on the Internet and get a lot of private information from consumers who were not subject to this special regulation, but it imposed a very much tighter set of regulations, really, on you know Verizon, AT&T, other providers of services. So that, for starters, is sort of troublesome, that you have people asking you for your information subject to two different privacy uh, regulatory regimes. Second, it ignored, as I say, it ignored the economic analysis and learning that suggested, hey, uh, that, that what it could do would create disincentives for by in effect requiring consumers to opt in to almost any use of their data, it uh, created disincentives for the investment in new services by the Internet service providers and quality of service improvements. In, in effect, it imposed sort of a very strict regulatory regime on a certain number of providers. After it was enacted with a lot of controversy and subject to potential legal challenges, it was basically undone by a majority act of Congress under something called the Congressional Review Act. And the Congressional Review Act, which actually was enacted during the Clinton administration 21 years ago, says that Congress has a right within, uh, I think it's 60 legislative days after regulation is finalized, to review the regulation and basically, by majority vote and signature by the president, to undo it. And under that Congressional Review Act, over the last couple of months, there have been a lot of regulatory provisions that had just been enacted or in which fell under, under the law that had been overturned by Congress. And I think the reasons for overturning it uh, made perfect sense because, as I say, it created a sort of discriminatory system, it paid no heed to the economics of privacy, and, by the way, This does not mean that consumers are going to be without protection. Indeed, the new chairman of the FCC and acting chairman of the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, on March 1st, agreed that they would work together to come up with common approaches to protect consumer privacy over the Internet. So in short, I think 
critics who are saying that this is some sort of great harm to consumers are not making a correct representation. In fact, they're misrepresenting things. Ernesto, uh, you've just heard Alden's position on this. What's your take on this legislation and its effect on consumer privacy? Certainly. So <laughs> we'll, we'll have very differing opinions on this. Namely, you know, let's think about the, let's start with the history. Um, you know, we talk about, there's a lot of talk about how the Federal Trade Commission was somehow the only entity ever to exist to handle privacy, which begs the question, why did Congress create the communications privacy provisions of the Communications Act, which applied to broadband then didn't apply to broadband then did apply to broadband, if you followed the classification reclassification debate that happened between, you know, the last, give or take, 10 plus years. That being said, the reason why the FCC has a rule that applies to communications companies, common carriers, uh, is because that's what Congress created. I mean, that is the law that Congress created under the Communications Act of 96, which is telecommunications carriers are subject to Section 222 of the Communications Act, which is essentially the authority that the FCC relies on for its privacy rules. You know, so a lot of times I think people take issue with the FCC looking at ISPs differently when they seem to forget that the source of that differentiation was Congress. Congress made that choice. Uh, if they have an issue with that, they should change the law, not you know, make it sound like it's somehow this like unelected bureaucracy that created the distinction. The other issue, I, mean, I, I think a lot of discussion about the Federal Trade Commission also has to take into account the common carrier exclusion under the Federal uh, Trade Commission Act, which is essentially played out recently last year at a Ninth Circuit uh, case, FTC versus uh, AT&T Mobility, where the Ninth Circuit found that the Federal Trade Commission has no real oversight power over AT&T because of its common carrier status as a telephone company. You know, this is even prior to the reclassification of, of its broadband services because of its status as a common carrier. So when I see arguments that the Federal Trade Commission will kind of leap in and save us uh, you know, and fill in the void or resolve these issues, it ignores the legal work that AT&T's lawyers have done at the Ninth Circuit, but undoubtedly they will attempt to replicate every time the FTC takes action against the telephone company or you know, Comcast or the other cable companies will we'll look to and point to as persuasive uh, interpretation of the FTC Act uh, as a means to shield themselves from Federal Trade Commission authority. So now you have a bill that, that Congress passed, the Congressional Review Act, as is correctly described, like what it was. You know, this is in response to uh, INS Chata, uh, essentially uh, a way to have a legislative process that repeals rules and regulations. No one can tell you exactly the ramifications of what will happen when the fateful day of when one of these federal agencies has to confront the repeal on the ground of the other part, what the CRA does, which is prohibits any substantially similar rules from taking effect. To what extent does a, a judge read the law to think about what is substantially similar? No one has any case law because it's never been tested. They can read it very narrowly, and maybe perhaps a change in the market will allow a rule that looks similar to a rule in the past to take effect, but because the market's changed dramatically, uh, it's effectively not the same rule because it's a different, you know, different situations. Or you read it much more expansively. I think a, a judge could read it as uh, not only can you create a any rule that, you know, in, in terms of the FCC broadband privacy uh, context, you know, the FCC cannot enforce Section 222 in a way that effectively looks like the rule, uh, namely, you know, looking at the consumer consent provisions of broadband companies. 
say if a cable company wanted to do something with uh, browsing information that without permission from the, from the customer, and the FCC wishes to invoke Section 222, uh, its privacy authority to you know, discipline the company and enforce the law in some sense, without a doubt, that entity will, as a defendant, will raise the CRA as a defense, saying the Congress has spoken. You're not allowed to use Section 222 in this manner. You know, again, we don't know the outcome of that, and and it's it's that overhang and that cloud that creating a repeal as well as a preclusion on the agency from taking further action that that's essentially created the gap. This is why you have a whole host of states now introducing their own broadband privacy bills from uh, New York to Washington to even Texas, uh, because people care about this stuff. People really do feel that there is this fundamental relationship with their ISP that's different than their email provider, if it's different than social media, that's different than any really online service that they choose or choose not to use because they have to use their ISP in order to get access to the Internet at the end of the day. And in most parts of this country, you know, outside of Washington, D.C., where you know, in, that, in their neighborhoods they have three choices, lots of people only have one choice when you talk about high-speed Internet access, and it's that friction and that lack of choice that has created the response that people have had to Congress repealing uh, broadband privacy rules. Does it go farther? Do the privacy concerns with regard to an ISP go farther than what Google can track through our browsing or, or whatever else? Yeah, how granular is this information? Is it Google supposedly through Alexa and the other services can record everything you say? So at EFF, we've, if I may, if I may uh, sure. at the Electronic Frontier Foundation, we've developed a lot of tools that shield your exposure to, to edge providers. There's ways you can, you can block ads. There's ways you can block tracking on your web browser, uh, block the installation of that on your machine. We do not have a real clean way to block the internet service provider uh, because you have to tell them where you're going, right? You have to tell them where, where you want to go. And, you know, HTTPS everywhere, which is essentially the encryption standard for, for websites, that's helped a lot in the sense that the ISP can't see the information or the content that you're transmitting because it's encrypted, uh, but they still know where you're going, right? They still know kind of the top level. So in some sense, there is a real difference on the technological matter because you could effectively shield yourself from, from Facebook or Google in a way that prevents them from seeing what you're doing. Absent using a, a really robust virtual private network uh, and paying money for that, there is no way to block the ISP in, in its totality from kind of piecing together all the pieces of your activity online. Alden, do you see it that way? Do you see that the privacy concerns are different with regard to the uh, ISPs than with regard to other kinds of, uh, you know, with, with regard to web browsing and companies such as Google? Actually, I think you hit on an excellent point. The fact is, typically Google, Amazon, lots of these sites will demand all sorts of personal information, foreign access, the sorts of information that the broadband internet service providers typically request. And let me, I don't want to get into legalities, but I, I respectfully think that one looks at Section 222 of the 1992 Act, it only covered, empowered the FCC to regulate customer proprietary network information over voice telephony. Voice telephony is a phrase it used, not broadband. And indeed, I, I'll say I was in the career lawyer in the Clinton administration, and there was no understanding whatsoever that broadband would be treated as a common carrier with good reason. I think the Clinton administration understood that uh, vibrant, unregulated broadband, uh, and it was in its earlier forms, not the type of broadband you have not now, was was critical to the growth of the internet, and they were quite correct about that. 
So it takes a heroic and, in my view, absurd interpretation of Section 222 to justify what the FCC did. But again, this is a, sort of a lawyer's argument. I, th- I think the fact is, one can say all you like about filters well, you, you and protection. You can use lawyers' arguments on this show. Okay. <laughs> yes, but I said, but so I, I think <laughs> I think the argument that that the FCC was clearly authorized and Congress intended is nonsense. Very honestly, and with all due respect, Congress did not at all refer to broadband as being subject to the sort of Section 222 regulation that the FTC thought it was subject to a year or two ago, and that was a narrow three to two majority of the FTC. And, you know, I've got to say that, again, the Clinton administration, FCC, I think had a very different understanding of that. In fact, the FCC always had a different understanding until just a couple of years ago. And by the way, until a couple of years ago, it was never anticipated that broadband would be characterized as common carriage. Uh, I think in November uh, 2014, President Obama suggested, and this was in connection with net neutrality, that common carriage might be a, a way to go. In, but very frankly, I think that most neutral commentators, I think, were skeptical about legal justifications for that. Nevertheless, the FCC did it. But now, again, I will just note that the Federal Trade Commission has entered into a number of consent decrees based on egregious violations of privacy by your Googles, your Facebooks, other edge providers from whom you can supposedly shield your information. So the fact is you can may try and shield the information, but edge providers' record in privacy is not necessarily the best. I'm, in fact, I'd argue it's a lot worse than uh, these uh, broadband Internet service providers has been. So, again, I, I just, again, in all due respect, I recognize that there's a contrary argument and that uh, and I have great respect for EFF and their belief in open Internet, but I just think as a matter of law and as a matter of facts, Uh, The story is quite different. All right. Please stay with us, Alden and Ernesto, and our listeners. We're going to take a short break and hear a few words from our sponsors, and we will be right back. Imagine what you could do with an extra eight hours per week. That's how much time legal professionals save with Clio, the world's leading practice management software. With intuitive time tracking, billing, and matter management, Clio streamlines everything you do to run your practice from intake to invoice. Try it for free at Clio.com. That's C-L-I-O.com. Documents are the currency of business. They represent you in every business interaction. Executives need to know what changes have occurred in documents, what metadata risks exist, and how to encrypt, share, and collaborate securely. Patera simplifies the document creation and collaboration process to protect you from risk and loss of reputation. Patera offers better solutions for document lifecycle management so you can focus on doing what really matters www.latera.com. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer. This is Bob Ambrogi, and with us today is Ernesto Falcone, Legislative Counsel at the Electronic Frontier Foundation, and Alden F. Abbott, Rumpel Senior Legal Fellow and Deputy Director of the Mies Center for Legal and Judicial Studies at the Heritage Foundation. And we are talking about legislation uh, involving privacy, uh, ISPs being able to sell our web browsing or internet usage uh, activity. Ernesto Verizon has said 
issued a statement saying, we do not sell the personal web browsing history of our customers. We don't do it, and that's the bottom line. What should we expect from ISPs? Are we going to be seeing our this history sold, or uh, is this a threat that isn't going to be carried out? Sure. Well, I'll speak to that. I, just, I kind of want to just respond a bit to the comment earlier. Sure, you know, as a matter of law, uh, as a matter of the D.C. Circuit, broadband companies are telecom carriers, and telecom carriers are regulated under Section 222 of the Communications Act. DSL in its early days was a Title II service until the FCC decided to classify it as a Title I service, and that led to the Brand X case. I mean, there's, there's a long, tortured history about kind of the legal status of broadband companies and falling in and out of whether they are regulated in a certain way, particularly in the privacy authorities. And even when they were considered information services, the FCC still had this theory called ancillary jurisdiction, which Comcast defeated in, in Comcast v. FCC, that there is some sort of cross-pollination hook with Title II authorities to you know, effectively carry out the duties that the FCC has been given by Congress. So it's not as clear-cut as saying Communications Act was created just for telephone and that was it. You know, this is a lawyer show. So like, it is much, much more complex than that. And, and I don't think there's ever been a time where the Federal Communications Commission, you know, proactively said they have no real way to have oversight or any sort of authority over uh, broadband companies. That's starting to change, I think, nowadays. I think SEC Chairman Pai has an intent to relinquish legal authority in exchange for you know, promises by the companies. And this ties to your question on Verizon. There's a media report that says that after meeting with the cable and telephone industry, Chairman Pai intends to essentially reclassify back into an information service, you know, broadband companies, cable and telephone companies, which would, under all the cases that have been litigated up to this point, essentially give the FCC the ability to ask for some basic transparency, I suppose, but not much else in terms of its oversight over broadband companies. And we would effectively then have to rely on the promises of these companies to not do harm to the open internet, despite the extraordinary value in controlling the internet experience, controlling what people go to, what websites are, the preferred uh, destination. There's just enormous value in being able to, to dictate that future that you know, has grown more valuable as more people use the internet. So I think when the companies say things like, we won't sell personal identifiable information or we won't sell individuals' uh, browsing history. Sometimes I think they parse words in a way that give you an impact or give you a perception that that means they're hands-off on all of it. When in reality, they, they will use your information in a way that, that will make people uncomfortable when they dissect the, the dynamic. I mean, it's, you know, they will, they will still, you know, collect your information and, you know, put it together in type of aggregate profiles and, and then sell you know, demographic information of like if you if you advertise your or whatever bidder you know whoever wants to come to ISP to for that information if you want to be able to reach an audience that fits this demographic has these conditions or this age and this behavior that's what they would like to sell I mean that's that's the kind of general general information they'd like to sell and and that will have to be collected and stored somewhere so these are things that these are the things that people don't like I mean these are the reasons why people are upset with what Congress did. Because at the end of the day, they would have liked to have had the choice. They would like to have said, you know, give me a reason why you want that, and then I'll, I'll decide from that point forward, which is essentially what the FCC did. The FCC didn't ban the practices that they want to engage in. It just made it so that the customer, the consumer, who already pays these companies a subscription fee, right, the choice, the choice to say yes or no is a legal matter, you know, it's a legal right. 
Are there any restrictions on the sale of this information? I mean, realistically, could people that really want to hack you buy this information? And could we as customers go out there and buy, say, for example, uh, Congress's or representatives browsing history information and publish it? So I think there's a very funny campaign out there about, like, I want to buy each member of the Congress personal browsing history. I, I, no one's going to ever sell that, right? I, I don't think that's what's going to happen. I do think that the, the day will come, and it's going to be malicious actors and hackers and potentially uh, foreign state actors who will get access to that information through illegal means, right? This, this won't be a lawful act. And we're going to have a situation where, like, someone's running for office and their most sensitive secrets of what they do online will be connected to them in some way based on data that will be stolen and then, and then released to the public. These are the dangers we start inviting when, when we encourage this type of, you know, kind of new way of monetizing and collecting information. This, these are the kind of things that, uh, for the most part, Congress has restricted through, through Section 222. And, and, you know, I think we do enter a, a new realm of, of you know, what's, what's to happen next that no one will be able to easily predict. Well, gentlemen, we've just about reached the end of our programs. It's time to wrap up and get your final thoughts along with your contact information so our listeners can reach out to you if they'd like to. So, um, Ernesto, let's start with you. Sure. So, uh, you know, feel free to email me at ernesto at EFF.org. In EFF.org, we, we often blog on these issues for folks to, to follow along. The legal team at EFF regularly works on a kind of a whole host of issues that impact Internet technology, surveillance, uh, and your privacy, and we try to keep the public informed. I think this is going to be a long-term debate. I mean, we are seeing round one, and, and this is something that I think has caught uh, attention and caught a lot of energy and fire kind of amongst all walks of life. You don't have to be of one political persuasion or another to care about you know your data, your choice. So I suspect we'll see a lot of debates at the state legislatures. I think a few of these states will pass laws, and I think they will go to court as well, and we will be debating a lot on the true impact of a Congressional Review Act repeal which will be written in the future. We don't know because there's no case law and it's going to be a very thorny subject. Alden, what are your final thoughts and your contact information? Uh, my final thoughts are that we didn't have the time to get into one important issue here. That first of all, even without the FCC regulation, there will be privacy protections. Consumers will be able to opt out, I think, from use of their information. And I do think that what's being ignored is that those consumers who benefit from being able to get beneficial uses, new services, because they agree to let their information be used for certain purposes, all that is being ignored. But that's subject to a separate conversation. My contact information is alden.abbott at heritage, H-E-R-I-T-H-E-E dot org, Alden.avidheritage.org. Happy to receive emails. I also blog on this and related regulatory topics at Truth on the Market. That's T R U T H O N T H E M A R K E T dot com. And I just want to say I, I think uh, Ernesto expressed his arguments well, and uh, I don't agree with them, but uh, it makes for an interesting debate. And undoubtedly, as he suggested, we being lawyers, there'll be more litigation, more opportunity to discuss these issues uh, in greater depth. Great. Thank you very much. Well, Bob, we got a few seconds left. What's your thought? You know, I, I'm concerned about, I'm of course always concerned about this issue. I'm concerned about the privacy issue. Something else uh, we didn't talk about that I've been wondering about is is whether there are any special 
concerns here for lawyers who are engaging in work on behalf of their clients and using the internet to do that. I think Ernesto was kind of alluding to this issue of uh, being able to, you know, identify even even when non supposedly non-identifying uh, information is being provided about users or aggregated in some way that that it's kind of possible to back out of that in some ways and and identify individual activity online and uh, find out information about particular individuals. And uh, so I, I think. Uh, I have more questions, I guess, than answers. This is not an area in which I'm at all an expert, but um, that's a big question I have is what kinds of precautions should lawyers be taking or thinking about in this? I know, as again, as Ernesto mentioned, that EFF has a number of privacy tools on its website that, that people should be aware of, but uh, they may not extend to this situation. So no answers, just questions, I guess. How about you, Craig? Pretty much the same. I am concerned like you are, given what I have seen Lexus and Westlaw be able to do with the amount of information that's out there right now uh, and how specific and granular it can be about particular individuals. Certainly that's a, you know, a source that lawyers look at during litigation. And I can see the specter of a ghost looking at my opposing counsel's research. It, it just frightens me that that might no. become a possibility. No, I just say I have two words, strong encryption. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> on that, I firmly agree. Yeah, I will close yeah. on that note. Ernesto and, and Alden, thank you very much for taking the time to be with us today. We really appreciated your insights on this topic and your time out of your busy schedules. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having us. Yes. Likewise. Well, thank you, gentlemen. And Bob, that brings us to the end of the show. This is Craig Williams. Thanks for listening. Join us next time for another great legal topic. When you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrosi for their next podcast, covering the latest legal topic. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.